Welcome to the first edition of the Weekly Bugle. This is going to be our news episode. We'll try to do it every week. Um, it could be myself or Joshua or both of us. And we will chat about the stories of the week that caught our attention most from the interwebs relating all to all things uh, geeky. So uh, this week is going to be pretty heavy on the movie side and also a show thrown in there. We're going to start off with uh, James Gunn. So James Gunn is the director of uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. So he directed Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and Volume 2, and he is going to be directing Volume 3 as soon as he finishes his responsibilities with the uh, reboot slash sequel to uh, Suicide Squad. Anyway, so uh, he was uh, on Twitter doing a Q&A and the live Q&A, and the fan asked him if there's, there was any chance that we might see Galactus or Silver Surfer in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Of course, those are characters that until recently were owned by Fox. Fox had the licensing to bring the characters to life in the big screen, and now that Disney has purchased those properties from Fox, it has regained the licenses, so now Marvel has all its characters back home, except the Sony ones, the ones that Sony owns. So uh, Galactus and Silver Surfer were among those characters, and now there's a possibility of being able to add them to this huge galactic world that the MCU has started to build through Guardians of the Galaxy and through Infinity War and through uh, Endgame. So um, his response was very interesting. He tweeted back saying, I've had discussions, which doesn't say much, but it kind of hints at a lot. Um, and then he deleted that tweet, which made it even more suspicious. So the big question remains, is there a chance that we could either see one or both of these characters introduced in Volume 3 of Guardians of the Galaxy... Uh, is there a chance that they may be hinted at or they may be introduced in uh, an after credit sequence uh, a scene of some sort? Um, we know that uh, Galactus and Silver Surfer are usually tied together because Silver Surfer is in the comics the herald of Galactus. So he goes before Galactus arrives at a planet and basically tells everyone the devourer of worlds is on his way. You guys are about to die. And then Galactus arrives. And there's been a lot of drama, of course. He's rebelled against Galactus. He has uh, stopped doing his bidding. There's a lot of storylines to pull from in the comic books to build a really compelling Silver Surfer and Galactus movie. Galactus, of course, he's this gigantic being. I mean, I'm talking... If you guys remember in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 1 and in Infinity War, they visit a planet that is actually the skull of a being, of an ancient being that was enormous, gigantic, and they turned that skull basically into a planet, and they were harvesting the, uh, uh, the brain juices or whatever it is from that, uh, from that skull. And that's a kind of size that we're talking about for Galactus, okay? This is kind of uh, someone else from Galactus' species. So we're talking about an enormous being who goes and consumes the resources from planets, to stay alive. And that alone, his size alone, the scale of, of, of what it would take to defeat somebody that enormous could very easily make him the next huge bad guy 
in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, in, in the next uh, saga of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So very excited to see if they are hinted at or included in some way in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. James Gunn's answer definitely did leave that door open. We'll see when Volume 3 of Guardians of the Galaxy comes out. Next movie, Snake Eyes. All right, so when I was a kid, I used to love G.I. Joe. I used to watch the cartoons every day. I used to uh, play with the toys. I even read a few of the Marvel comics that that, that they released for G.I. Joe. I, I loved the entire premise of it. It was a very simple premise, mind you. And I think that's the reason why uh, some people were disappointed with the first two G.I. Joe movies. Because basically they tried to take a very simple premise and add a lot of layers onto it. Um, and of course introduce the technology of nowadays. So I enjoyed it for what it was, the first, uh, the, the uh, G.I. Joe films. I don't judge them too heavily because, again, it's not like they were exactly pulling from a Shakespearean play or something like that. It was a very simple concept, and they kind of just did it, and they adapted it to modern times. And um, so, yeah, it's definitely something that, I, that I'll keep following, just like the Transformers movies. Sure, they're not mind-blowingly great scripts, but still worth watching. Why not? You know, let's go on the weekend. Let's watch a good movie. Eat some popcorn, in my case, some nachos. Um, and uh, Snake Eyes in particular is one character that I've always loved. Back when I was a kid playing with G.I. Joe toys, Snake Eyes and Storm Shadow were the two characters, the two toys that I wouldn't let anybody else play with. Those were my guys. And Snake Eyes in particular, I've always loved Ninja. So his whole black look is something that I always loved. And so I'm definitely looking forward to this Snake Eyes movie. I want to check it out. I want to see uh, how well they build his entire backstory. And uh, I want to see him interacting with Storm Shadow throughout his development as a character when he's younger and all that. We also know that the Baroness and Scarlet are going to be featured in this movie and probably several other um, G.I. Joe characters. The movie is going to be coming out uh, on October 23rd is what's projected so far. So... Let's uh, let's hope that, that they do a nice job with this movie. Ninjas, baby. Ninjas! Speaking of cool warriors, The Mandalorian has uh, received a release date. Bob Iger, the head of Disney, uh, let everybody know that October 2020 is when we're going to see Season 2 of The Mandalorian. Now, uh, spoiler alert, in case you haven't seen The Mandalorian Season 1, which if you haven't, stop being cheap. Go pay the $6.99, subscribe. As a matter of fact, get the free week and just watch The Mandalorian. It's worth it. So, The Mandalorian Season 1 left a lot of things unanswered. And it left a lot of uh, venues, avenues where the story could go. So, the, the core of the story, of course, is The Mandalorian, um, who is now accepting a responsibility as more than just a guardian to the child. And the child, of course, I'm talking about the famous baby Yoda that everybody has gone crazy over on the internet. And he has now decided that he's going to go and try to return him to his people. By his people, he means these force-sensitive warriors called the Jedi that the Mandalorian leader told him about. And so... You know, the biggest question possibly is, wait, who is he going to end up encountering then in season two of the show? Because this takes place somewhere after the Battle of Yavin 4, after episode four, A New Hope, in the original Star Wars trilogy. So we're talking about a whole mess of characters 
that are alive and well during that time period of where the show take place. Plus, there's a ton of characters that were introduced during the Clone Wars cartoon show, the Rebels cartoon show, um, and uh, the other one, I forget, Resistance, I think. I haven't, I haven't seen that one yet. Uh, but there were characters that were introduced during those two shows that could very easily make an appearance here and, and add a lot of layers to, to the show and make the show even more interesting. And especially for those of us that, that sat through the entire Clone Wars and Rebels, you know, it, it would be huge fan service to bring someone on like Ahsoka Tano, for instance. And that, that in particular, Ahsoka Tano, I'm curious to see if they will bring her to life through the Mandalorian show. Maybe in season two, maybe in season three, who knows? But at the end of season one of The Mandalorian, when uh, Moff Gideon survives the TIE Fighter crash, he walks out of the TIE Fighter and he's holding the Darksaber. Now, the Darksaber was a weapon created by the Mandalorians all the way back when they were fighting the Jedi. They had a big feud with the Jedi in the past. And they created this Darksaber to be able to fight against, uh, against lightsabers. The Darksaber, really dope weapon. And he's wielding. Now, the last person that we saw wielding that weapon within the Star Wars lore was actually Ahsoka Tano during the uh, Rebels series. So, big question there. Is she going to tie in? Is she going to weave in somehow into this story? Because uh, we know that around this time, Ahsoka Tano would still not be an old woman. She would be somewhere around her 40s. And as a matter of fact... You've got somebody that's been raising her hand for a long time now, begging to play Ahsoka Tano, and that is the famous Rosario Dawson, the night nurse herself from the Daredevil Netflix Marvel Universe. She has wanted to play Ahsoka Tano for quite some time. She actually tweeted on January 22nd of this year. She tweeted a picture of herself next to a picture of Ahsoka, with a caption saying, just for reference, Ahsoka Tano would be in her early to mid-40s during The Mandalorian. So that's a huge thing right there. Man, it would be incredible fan service, but also very smart casting. Because you would have somebody who's passionate about the content, passionate about the character, who could look the part, and who's a complete badass at anything she does. She's a great actress. So... That would be incredible. I really hope that they bring Ahsoka Tano to life um, and just weave her into the entire story. They've already, you know, set it up in a way with the Darksaber. Why not? Uh, so that's the news about The Mandalorian. Definitely looking forward to this October because I, Joshua and I, man, we were every week, we were sitting there just aching for the next Mandalorian episode. And with the exception of maybe one of the episodes, maybe two these things were all hits, home runs. I mean, it, the quality, the production, the writing, the, the the directors that they unleashed for for every episode, man. And the 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 last episode, the season finale, was just. I I mean, I watched it the second time right away after we finished watching it the first time because I couldn't I couldn't get enough of it. It was just that good. So watch the Mandalorian if you haven't. If not, for the rest of us who have already seen it, woo! Can't wait for October. Next piece of news: Sam Raimi. So. Let's talk about Doctor Strange for a second. Scott Derrickson was a director for Doctor Strange, the first movie, and he left Doctor Strange, uh, the Doctor Strange sequel, Multiverse of Madness, over, quote, creative differences. Very interesting. It's likely that we're never going to find out completely what was the cause exactly, what exactly were those differences, because he seemed very excited about it. 
when they announced the Doctor Strange sequel, um, he was very excited speaking about it and, and, and calling it the first scary movie of the MCU, um, which is a big deal. And, of course, the, the whole tone, the, the name of it, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, it just sounds, well, maddening. It sounds, uh, it sounds like something suspenseful. It sounds like something that could really lend itself to that scary feel. So Scott Derrickson walks away from the director's chair, and now Marvel had to find another director. And guess who is in talks for it? It is Sam Raimi, ladies and gentlemen. Now, Sam Raimi is relevant to this uh, directing choice for a couple of reasons. Of course, Sam Raimi was what I think most of us would agree, the director who brought us the first truly successful Marvel superhero film in the form of Spider-Man, Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. Um, the first movie was excellent. The second movie was phenomenal. The third movie... Uh, let's not talk about that one. Um, the first and second movies were great, and Sam Raimi really hit it out of the park. He loves the characters. He loves comics. He loves the mythologies that Marvel has made. And on top of that, he kind of knows scary. Let's look at some of the names of his movies. It's Murder, Evil Dead, Evil Dead 2, Dark Man, Army of Darkness, Drag Me to Hell. I think the guy knows how to make a scary movie. So I'm really, really hoping, literally got my fingers crossed right now, that Sam Raimi gets picked to helm Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. It would be welcoming home a director who um, did us all a tremendous service in bringing Spider-Man to life. So, again, fingers crossed. Let's see if he if it's announced as something official. But, man, that would be an incredible um, director choice for the Doctor Strange sequel. Next, Neo. Neo, Neo, Neo. Matrix 4. So, uh, a few months ago, I believe it was released, it was revealed that um, the Matrix 4 and John Wick 4 we're going to be released on the same day. Joshua and I have had some serious conversations about this. And I've got some theories that um, he and I want to share in, in, a, in a standalone episode. So we're going to get into some theories about Matrix 4 and John Wick 4 and what this whole thing of them being released on the same day could mean. Um, but in the meantime, we got our first look of Neo and the Matrix 4. Now, spoiler alert in case you haven't seen Matrix Revolutions, but at the end of Matrix Revolutions, Neo isn't exactly in the best shape. He lost his eyes. He got him burned off by Agent Smith. Um, he was maybe dead. <laughs> uh, he was being carried away as if he was dead, but then we saw that whole uh, uh, Matrix kind of view, but the yellow version in the real world... And he was emanating all sorts of energy and light So as he was being carried away. So we don't really know. We don't know if Neo was dead or not. We don't know what his state is. Uh, we know that he's come back quite literally from the dead before. Um, you just watch the three movies and you'll see that happen a couple of times. So uh, interesting that we're seeing him again. Now I'm presuming that we're seeing him in the Matrix. And the shot, what it basically is, is uh, Keanu Reeves... I guess in the character of Neo walking through the streets. He's walking through a crowd in the streets, like crossing the street, 
uh, along with other people. He's not in any kind of particular costume. He's in everyday clothing. He's wearing some kind of beanie, wearing some kind of jacket. And more interestingly, he's rocking the same exact beard and the same exact hair that he has as John Wick, uh, that Keanu Reeves has as John Wick and that he's been uh, rocking in his real life, in his normal life, uh, for quite some time now since the John Wick movie started coming out. So that's interesting to me because, you know, it would imply then that Neo is basically back in the Matrix because, you know, we know what the real world looks like and it looks like a wasteland. Um, And yet here we see him walking in what looks like the normal world. So presumably that is the Matrix, a new version of the Matrix, I suppose. Um, What is he doing? How is he back? Uh, Did he not die? And if he didn't die, what's his purpose now? You know, how did he get back into the Matrix and why did he have to get back into the Matrix? I, I, I can't wait. This is a, a really big deal, getting a fourth movie into the Matrix franchise. And uh, again, we'll talk a little bit more about some theories um, regarding that and John Wick later on. But um, really cool just to see a little first glimpse of him. We'll see where that takes us. Next, Birds of Prey this weekend, uh, the weekend of October 7th. Uh, Birds of Prey is being released into theaters and the embargo has been lifted and critics have been going nuts reviewing Birds of Prey. And it turns out this is the second highest rated DCEU Rotten Tomatoes score to date, which is interesting. I mean, you've got hits like Shazam and Aquaman and Wonder Woman. But besides that, the rest of the DCEU movies... Uh, we're not doing good at all, at least not in the eyes of critics, and definitely a lot of them not in the eyes of, of the fans. So very interesting that Birds of Prey has released to such high uh, reviews. Can't, uh, can't wait to see why it is that people are loving it. There's some really good comments about Black Mask, about um, uh, about the uh, the character, calling him one of the best DC villains so far on film. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what the fuzz is all about. I'll be catching that this weekend. It's rated R, so Joshua's not going to be going to this one, but I will post a review once I watch it. Um, Looking forward to that. And then uh, we've got some other DC news. Black Adam. So The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, posts a photo of himself uh, bulking up his back muscles even more, uh, because I guess they weren't big enough yet. And he says that he is um, training... For the role of Black Adam. Because apparently he's about to start uh, uh, filming Black Adam. The Black Adam movie. Black Adam, of course, being the most iconic character villain for um, for Shazam. And he's going to get his own standalone movie, apparently. Um, and then the the uh, the interesting thing is the, the, the quote, or the, the caption for his, um, for his image that he posted. He said, the hierarchy of power in the DC universe is about to change. I mean, that's, you know, coming from Dwayne Johnson, chills, man. I, I can't wait to see what the heck happens with Black Adam and what he means, you know, for the entire DCEU. I mean, a, a big overarching question that Joshua and I are going to explore in a future episode is what what is, what is the state of the DCEU? You know, is, is that even a thing anymore? Because we've got movies that are seemingly standalone right now. They're not really connecting too much, and we haven't heard any big plans about movies connecting. There are plans still, apparently, to uh, make a Flash movie with Ezra Miller, and uh, it's apparently going to still have elements of the Flashpoint paradox storyline, which, 
you know, should be interesting to see, I guess. Maybe. I don't know. DC has got to, you know, just cut ties with the past somehow and just start building something new. They've got something good going on with Aquaman and Wonder Woman and Shazam. Um, The Joker movie was fantastic. Not exactly something that can tie into the other movies, but the other movies could tie together if they wanted to tie them together. What they need to do is just take their time and build their universe in a calm way. And of course, when you got the heavy-hitting firepower of someone like Dwayne The Rock Johnson playing Black Adam, woo, man, you've got, you've got the figures, you got the pieces. You just have to use them correctly. Last piece of news for this week, Venom 2. Um, so Venom 2, of course, is uh, part of the Sony Marvel Universe and possibly part of the MCU as a whole. Uh, depending on how it is that Sony decides to tie Venom into Morbius and into uh, the Spider-Man 3 movie. Um, it's going to it's gonna be something where we just have to wait and see how exactly that plays out. But there is potential that uh, Venom could become part of the MCU, just like Spider-Man has as a, as a Sony-licensed property. And, I mean, no complaints on my end. I enjoyed the, the first Venom movie. Sure, it wasn't a perfect movie, but I really did enjoy it. I, I, I like what I saw. I like how they brought Venom to, to, to life. Um, and uh, I'm very excited for the fact that Andy Serkis is, is the director for Venom 2. And he revealed recently on social media that um, they're about a month into filming Venom 2. So that movie should be coming somewhere around the fall of 2020 is what it's what, what's projected. And uh, again, in the hands of Andy Serkis, this guy knows uh, CGI. And Venom is a very CGI-heavy movie. It has to be because of the whole nature of a symbiote. And of course, uh, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, um, at the end of Venom 1, we saw um, uh, Cletus Cassidy. Uh, am I saying that right? Anyway, played by, uh, uh, by Woody Harrelson. Um, the character who becomes Carnage. And so, man, talk about a CGI fest. I mean, if you if you pick up a comic of uh, where you have Venom fighting against Carnage, it's basically, you know, kind of like you saw Venom fighting the other symbiote in the first Venom movie. It's just a slugfest of, you know, goo all over the place. Red and black goo all over the screen. So um, I'm looking forward to it. I love Venom. I love Carnage. Those are some of my favorite um, Spider-Man villains. Always loved any story arcs in the comics that had to do with those characters. I love that it's in the hands of Andy Serkis. Can't wait to see what he does with it. I'm really looking forward to the fall of 2020. So that is the news for this week's Weekly Bugle. I will catch you guys in the next episode. Peace out, people. Game over.